You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to, but the, and the angel said to them, "Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord." This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising of God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth a peace to men and on whom his favor rests. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, we thank you for... The opportunity that we have right now to um, sit and hear from you, and uh, ultimately we pray that's that's what will happen, that you will speak through me, and that you would open our hearts to hear, to receive everything that you have for us, that you would plant deep within us an unshakable joy um, that spreads uh, beyond this room, beyond our homes, into our city, and far beyond uh, for the good of others and for your glory. And it's in Christ's name that I ask these things, amen. You may be seated. Earlier this week, I was putting our kids to bed and uh, had left Wyatt's room. He's our middle son and uh, middle child. And Megan asked me to come back in and talk with him because um, our, our dog, who normally sleeps pretty much on top of Wyatt in his bedroom, was still at the vet, was still very sick. Um, and Wyatt was feeling a lot of loneliness, was feeling a lot of sorrow. And so he wanted to talk about it. And though he couldn't put it into words, what I realized that my son, maybe even for the first time kind of really in his life as a nine-year-old, was experiencing the weight of living in a world that is east of Eden, Um, in a world that is broken, in a world where someone, you know, can drive by your house and shoot your dog on Thanksgiving Day. And as I was sitting there, And I was trying to kind of hold his grief and listen to him talk about his own feelings. Uh, And I was thinking about this message. A question came to my mind that I want you to ponder as we dive into our text today. And here's the question I want you to consider. How can we continually live with joy in a fallen world? Like, Like, how can we live with joy in a world that is east of Eden? You know, it's one thing to have joy when all is right, but how do you live with joy in a world that is filled with so much injustice and hate and crime, a world that is filled with loss and loneliness, with death and disappointment? So it's a very important question for us to try to answer this morning because the truth is, no matter who you are or where you come from, all of us in here long for joy. We all long for happiness. I think of that Blaise Pascal quote, which I've shared before, where he says, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Happiness is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. So everyone, uh, whether you're young or you're old, you're rich or you're poor, you're black or you're white, 
Like we all long to be happy. That's why we do what we do. The problem is, as the research is pointing out, happiness is on decline in America. Um, it's interesting that we were a country built on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But according to all the research, people are unhappier right now than ever before. I was reading a survey this past week in Forbes magazine where they uh, surveyed nearly 800 adults. And they asked the adults this question. If you could say in one word what you want more of in life, what would it be? And out of all of the responses, the number one response by far was happiness. That the missing element in their lives is what the Bible refers to as joy. More than anything else, this is the thing they identified as the thing that is hardest to achieve and maintain. And if, if we were being honest this morning, I think a lot of us would say like, yeah, I can relate to that. Joy seems to be so elusive, doesn't it? It seems to be like this moving target that doesn't stand still long enough for us to actually grasp. It's something that we're all chasing after, and yet few of us really, I would say this morning, feel like we have caught it. And one reason for this is because I think that we just simply don't know where to look to for true happiness. We look to things that actually never really can fulfill us. I think of Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. Y'all remember that series we went through back in the fall where Solomon said, uh, quote, I refuse my heart no pleasure. Think about that. That's a startling statement. Not just that he, that he had access to any pleasure, but he had so much money and so much wealth that he was able to get whatever pleasure he wanted, but he said that none of that made him happy. And so rather than just kind of ending his journey of trying to find true happiness, he went from, from looking to pleasure for happiness to looking to possessions. And that didn't work. And so then he looked for power, and that didn't work. And then he looked for happiness and, and proficiency, and he looked for it in popularity, and none of that worked. What he ultimately discovered, as he said, as you see on the screen, that everything that he looked to under the sun for happiness was hevel. That's the Hebrew word that he uses. In other words, it was smoke, it was vapor, it was a chasing after the wind. And so whatever mountain you were trying to climb to find happiness, Solomon says, I've made it to the top of an even bigger mountain. And what did he find? That even if you could make it to the top of whatever mountain you're trying to climb, and you probably, by the way, never will make it to the top. But if you do, he says, you're only going to experience a temporary happiness that sooner than later will fade away. And when that happens, you'll be left with even more despair in your heart than you had before you started to climb. I always think back to uh, the recording artist Moby. I've shared this uh, a couple times, at least in a sermon. But in the 90s, Moby was a, was a big deal. He, he won like every kind of major award that a recording artist would want to win. And he tells a story in a podcast I listened to years ago or after winning kind of the big major award that he had spent his life wanting to win, that he was up at kind of the tippity top of this hotel in Barcelona. And he's at this party with John Bon Jovi and Madonna and all these other people that he, could, that he had beat. And they're all there to celebrate him. And he said, if the window would have been big enough that moment, I would have jumped out and killed myself. Because he said, here's this thing that I worked my whole life to get that I thought if I could just get that, then I would be happy. But then he got it and he realized it did not satisfy, it did not fulfill, and therefore he was led to a lot of despair. And you see, that is the really bad news this morning. The bad news is that you will never be able to find joy or perfect happiness in anything that is under the sun. But the good news of Christmas is that the God that is beyond the sun sent his son so that in him we could find joy that every single one of us are longing for. And that is what we see right here in the text that was just read. If you look back with me in Luke 2 and verse 10, 
In Luke 2 verse 10, uh, Jesus has been born, and because it is such good news that God does not want to keep it right there in the barn, but he wants to send the news out, he sends the angels to the most least likely of people. He sends them to the shepherds that are out in the field. And here's what the angel said to the shepherds in verse 10. Do not be afraid. That's what an angel always has to say when they show up, because angels aren't cute and cuddly, but because they're, they're terrifying, right? They're warriors of light. They say to these, these uh, shepherds, do not be afraid, and look at this. For I bring you good news that will cause great joy, or an even more literal translation that will cause mega joy that is for all the people. And so I've come to bring you good news that is going to cause great joy, not just for you shepherds, but for all people. Not just for the super spiritual, not just for those who have their lives together, not just for those who are part of the same denomination or who live in this certain part of the world or have this much money, but I have come to give you good news that brings great joy for all people. Question is, what exactly is this good news that causes great joy? Well, in short, it's the good news about the birth of the long-awaited Messiah, the one who has promise to make all things right and is now here to accomplish for us what we could have never accomplished for ourselves. But you already know that. So in in order to kind of understand the full scope of this work, what I want to do this morning is I want to think about uh, Jesus's first coming, but I also want to think about his second coming. You know, Advent, as Luke mentioned earlier, it's, it's a word that means arrival. It means coming. And it's a season where Christians down throughout church history, we think about and we look back and we celebrate Jesus's first coming but then we also look forward in anticipation to his second coming. And as we do these two things, as these two truths begin to settle into our hearts, then we can learn to live with joy in the in-between, no matter what is going on around us. And so let's start quickly by thinking about Jesus' first coming and how it is the good news that brings great joy. I don't think this is on uh, the text or in the Version app, but you can listen as I read this. Paul says in Galatians 3, For you are all children of God through faith, in Christ Jesus. If you have placed your faith in Christ Jesus, you're children of God. And all who has been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. When you trust in Jesus, you are clothed in his righteousness. What that means is no matter what you have done or have not done, you look perfect in the eyes of God. There is now no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Simply put, because of what Jesus has accomplished in his first coming through his life, his death, and his resurrection, as soon as you trust in that, you receive a whole new identity. And what that means is, please hear me this morning, you are no longer defined by sin. You're no longer defined by your past. You're not defined by divorce. You're not defined by uh, abortion. You're not defined by some sort of sin that you committed that you're still ashamed of. But you are, if you've trusted in Jesus, defined by his perfection. You have, the Bible is clear, gone from being an enemy of God to being his beloved child. Which means that even as you sit right now, no matter what you have done or have not done, you've got to understand this today, when God looks at you, he is not disappointed in you. God delights in you. God is not looking at you and being like, why have you not pulled it together yet? Why do you still need so much grace? Why do you still need so much mercy? No, God's face, the Bible is clear. If you are in Christ, is shining on you. You are the sparkle of his eye. And there's nothing that you can do to change that reality. And you see, the reason this matters so much is, is I want you to think about it like this. I've been revisiting a book that I read a couple years ago called The Other Half of the Church. 
which is written by Jim Wilder, who is a neurotheologian. And what he points out in this book, you'll have to go read it on your own. I don't have time to dive into all of the research. But basically what he points out is what scientists have discovered in the last couple of years. I mean, there's like no scientist that is debating this. This is empirical evidence type stuff. But what they have discovered is the reality that from birth, we are all looking for joy. Every single, every single human being is looking for joy. And joy is ultimately found whenever we realize that we are the sparkle in someone else's eyes. In other words, like, like, like when you look at somebody else and you see by their facial expression that they are happy that you are with them, it literally will send a signal to the right side of your brain that releases serotonin and dopamine that as a result produces joy. Now you're like, okay, that's all great. Why does that matter? Because if you are a child of God, you bring a smile to God's face. When God sees you, his face lights up. In Psalm 139, the psalmist says, How precious are your thoughts. They are more than the grains of the sand. Go try to count the grains of sand on a beach. You'll give up, right? Because there's no way to be able to count them all. You need to realize God has more precious thoughts about you than the grains of sand. Like, how wild is that? Zephaniah chapter 3 Israel's in a really bad way. They're in a really dark place. And God comes to them and says, be glad and rejoice. It almost sounds like that, 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 uh, that McFerrin song, right? Don't worry, be happy. It's like, that's not helpful. Like, what are you talking about? He says, be glad and rejoice. How is that possible? Verse 17, Zephaniah three seventeen. For the Lord your God is living among you. That's what Advent is all about, by the way. The Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will, listen to this line. This is the word of God. He will take delight in you with gladness. With gladness. With his love, he will calm all of your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Think about that today. That when God looks at you, you put a song in his heart and a smile on his face. I wonder how many of you right now actually believe that. Like, like, just for a moment, like maybe you even have to close your eyes, but I want you to imagine God looking at you right now. What is his facial expression? I, you know, I shared with you all last Sunday how um, I literally, like physically cried over my dog last Sunday morning, which is crazy to me I, because I, I've never really considered myself to be that much of a dog person, and I'm not a big crier. I actually wish I I cried more. I don't think that's anything to be ashamed of for like those of you dudes that cry a lot. I think it's actually a sign your heart works really well. But I just cried. My wife was there and she's like, "Uh, do you have a cold? I was like, you know, no, no, I'm crying over our dog. And, and, um, you know, I was sitting there so pitiful looking. Uh, It'd been shot right on Thanksgiving. We've done, put a lot of work into it and all this, going to the vet. And it just was miserable just couldn't move, just wasn't his playful self. And, and, and so I've been thinking this week, like, why was I crying over this dog? And one thing I realized is, is it's just been a very hard year. It's been one of the hardest years of my life. And, and I think, like, in that moment, I was like, man, I'm just tired of loss. I'm tired of brokenness, like, not just out there, but in here. Like, I'm just tired of dealing with that kind of stuff. But I also realized that I was crying because um, one of the things I've been praying and asking God for for the last five or six months is, is that I would experience God's love in a, in a physical and tangible way. 
And just a couple weeks ago, I, I was writing in my journal about how I have been experiencing God's love in a physical and tangible way through my dog. I know that, like to use, like that may sound silly, may sound crazy. Um, but but the reason I think I've experienced that is because here's the deal: I could disappoint every single one of you today, and I could go home, and my dog would be thrilled to death to see me. I could beat my dog, which I do not do, by the way. Don't like turn me in to whoever you turn people into for beating dogs. But I could beat my dog, and he would still be happy to come back over and over and over. And here's the thing: you got to understand this, like child of God, like. As happy as my dog is to see me no matter what, God is infinitely times more happy to see you no matter what. No matter what. This is why there are so many verses in the Bible about God's face shining on you. In Psalm 1611, we have it translated in our Bibles as in your presence there is fullness of joy, but the literal Hebrew says uh, it is an abundance of joy with your face. I think about Psalm 21, 6. It says, you make him joyful with gladness in your presence, but the word-for-word rendering in the Hebrew, which is what the Old Testament is written in, says you make him happy with joy with your face. Because this is what Jesus came to bring you through his first coming, to take you from being an enemy of God to being a beloved child of God. You think about like a parent when you're just sitting there watching your kids sometimes and you're just smiling, especially when they're young and all they can do is just like, Nothing but poop their pants and just make messes. Sometimes you just still sit there and you smile. You're so happy. Like, like this is what Jesus has done for you. Like, even in all of your messes, like, you're now a child of God, and he rejoices over you with singing. When he sees you, his face lights up. And when that settles into our hearts, it begins to produce joy. But then if that's not good enough, not only do we have joy because of Jesus' first coming and what he's accomplished there, but we can also live with an unshakable joy because of his second coming. The prophet Isaiah tells of a day whenever... We'll finally experience in full uh, this real place called heaven where the kingdom of God and kingdom of man overlap. And he says, on that day, everlasting joy will crown our heads. Gladness and joy will overtake you and sorrow and sign will flee away. What Isaiah is saying is, look, no matter how dark or gloomy it gets right now, you know why you can have joy? Because your future is incredibly bright. You may think your life is on plan B or plan C or plan D, that you're heading now towards this like really crappy destination because of your past sins or mistakes or whatever else. But the truth is, Jesus has overcome the world. He has conquered sin, death, and hell. And your future really is safe and it is secure. I think of Psalm 23, where the psalmist says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's nothing else I want. I've got everything I need in God. I'm perfectly happy. Why? He says, before he makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Even when there's chaos and there's enemies around, like you're not freaking out, you're not anxious, you're there. We're eating, we're feasting, we're in communion. He says, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows, and I love that line where in surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of God forever. The house of God, where joy will overtake you. Yes, this, diff- this life is difficult, but a glorious eternity awaits, an eternity where sorrow and sighing will flee away, where all of the sin will be rinsed out of us. All of the brokenness will be gone. No more loss, no more death, no more bad surprises. Just us enjoying the overflow of God's perfections for all eternity. 
Like, guys, that's coming for us. And all of that is wrapped up in this announcement by the angels. It is the good news that causes great joy for all the people who simply trust in Jesus. And this is what we see if you read the book of Acts. As the gospel begins to go forward, it says that Philip, in Acts chapter 8, proclaimed to them the gospel. And as a result, it says what, Luke? There was much joy in that city. It's a verse that, that we've clinged to since we started this church. We're like, that's what we want. That's the kind of church we want to be. We want to be a church that is known as a joy-filled church that is living in such a way that as we take the gospel forward, joy is spreading in our city. That is one of the ways, by the way, you know you've met the real resurrected Jesus. Joy. That's what you see all throughout the gospels and the writings in the New Testament. And so the question in light of all of that, is just this, and maybe you're asking it right now, if that's all true, then why am I experiencing so little joy right now? Like, if it's true that Jesus is the good news that brings mega joy, somebody's telling me today it sounds like a rock band, like mega joy. Um, if that's true, that Jesus brings true joy, unshakable joy, mega joy, then why is it that maybe for some of us we feel so melancholy, or maybe even depressed? And uh, I'm not a therapist, so I'm not here to diagnose anybody. But what I would say is if, you know, just some of us, let's be honest, we just, we don't experience that joy because we've not trusted in King Jesus. Um, We're religious, but there's not really a relationship with Jesus. Like we've given him our afterlife, or so we think we have, but we've not given him this life. We want him as Savior, but we don't want him as Lord. And if you don't want him as Lord, you're not going to get him as Savior. And so you don't experience the joy that only he can bring. I think another reason that some of us experience so little joy is not because we're not Christians, but because we got to remember we live on a battlefield. Like we are in the middle of a war right now against the three enemies of the soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so we do live in a world that is fractured by sin, and that is sad. We do struggle with flesh, which means we all have to fight against our own sin. And that is a big reason, by the way, why a lot of us experience so little joy. Is one of the fruits of the Spirit is what? Joy. Love, joy, peace, right? And so when you sin, you grieve the Holy Spirit. And when you grieve the Holy Spirit, you begin to leak joy. And so for some of you here today, the reason you have so little joy is, listen, this may be a game changer for you. You might realize this for the first time. The reason you're experiencing so little joy is not because you don't have the right medication. No, I'm not against medication. Some of us need that. But it's not because you don't have the right medication. It's not because you don't have the right amount of money. But it's because you're living in active disobedience to God. It's because you're doing things that you know God said don't do. Over and over and over and over. You're not doing things that he's told you to do. You grieve the spirit. When you grieve the spirit, you don't experience joy. And so we have this battle with the world. We have a battle with the flesh. And we have this battle with the devil. Who is constantly, Jesus said, trying to kill, steal, and destroy. And he does that by feeding you lies about God, about yourself, and others. And you see, because all of that is true, because we are in a broken, fallen world with a sinful flesh and a real enemy. Listen, if you're going to experience a mega joy, this is going to go from being just another Advent sermon to being like something you actually experience. You need to realize it's going to take a lot of grace and it's going to take a lot of grit. It's going to take a lot of grace. You're going to need to realize that you need grace just as much today as you ever have. You're going to need the grace of God, but you're also going to need grit. You're going to have to fight for your joy day in and day out to put into practice these things that will help you cultivate a joy-filled life that is deep and resilient and full. 
And in the time we have left, I just want to share with you, this is not an exhaustive list, but four ways that I think you can do this, four practices that you can begin to put in your life as a way of cultivating more joy no matter what season you're in. And the first thing I'd say is if you're taking notes is if you want to cultivate joy in your life, if you want to grow your joy capacity, you need to pray prayers of gratitude which from the best I can tell involves a ritual and it involves redirection. What I mean by a ritual is this is something you need to put into your schedule to do every single day. For me, I do this at night. Whenever I'm falling asleep, I just stop and thank God for, for the little evidences of grace throughout my day. So it involves a ritual, but it also involves redirection. What I mean by that is you're going to have to intentionally choose every day to redirect your mind because what we naturally want to do is focus on what we don't have or focus on what we think we deserve to have but don't have. And rather than focusing on what all we don't have, we need to be intentional about redirecting our minds and thanking God for what we do have. And so rather than complaining that our kids are sick, thank God that you have kids. Rather than complaining about a job, thank God that you have the job. Make a decision to choose gratitude, which as a result will give birth to joy. Um, a few weeks ago, we had Haley Deck back on the Paragold podcast and Haley, uh, most of you know her story by now. Her and her, her husband, Blake, lost their kids in a tragic car accident. Uh, was that five years ago? Four years ago? Five years ago? Um, and in her book, she talks, in her book, there's a section where she talks about how she was like, I don't know how I'm going to go on. It's like the, my worst nightmare come true. My kids have died. I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know if I'll ever be able to be happy again. And she talks in her book about changing her perspective. Now, keep in mind, this is a, a normal human being who's not a pastor getting paid to stand before you to just preach a message on joy. No one told her to write a book and all that, but here's what she said. This is her own experience. In the midst of my deepest grief, I began to experience deep gratitude, which as a result brought unconditional joy. So you want joy? In the words of the Apostle Paul himself, give thanks in every circumstance. You don't give thanks for every circumstance. You don't give thanks when your kid's sick. Oh, God, I thank you my kid is sick. You don't give thanks for cancer. You don't give thanks for, for hate and, and crime and things like that. But you give thanks in every circumstance. And as you pray these prayers of gratitude, as the New Testament teaches and as Haley teaches from her own life, you will begin to experience more joy. Secondly, not only do you need to pray prayers of gratitude, but you need to spend time with the people of God. It is one thing to know that God's face is shining on you. It's another thing to experience God's face shining on you. How can you experience God's face tangibly shining on you? How can you experience God's face tangibly, physically, visibly shining on you? Community. Absolutely. It is through the church, which the scriptures say is the body of Christ. That is why I tell people, it's like, people's like, man, I don't need the church. I just need Jesus. I'm like, okay, that is true, I guess. Like, you can still go to heaven if you just have Jesus and not have the church, but you'll never experience God's love in a real, physical, tangible way apart from his body, which is the church. And so if you want to experience God's face shining on you, like, don't neglect meeting together. Like, as everyone else in America's churches are declining all over the place, like, keep showing up. And when you show up, like, yeah, show up at things like this, but even more than we need this, like, this is great. But even more than this, we need missional communities. We need DNAs, which is what we have in our church. Like You need to plug into a community. And why is community so powerful? Because in community, people see your sin. People see your failures. People see your flaws. People know that you don't have it all together. When you're here, you can throw on the mask. 
And people may love your mask, but the problem is they love your mask and they don't love you. But whenever the mask is thrown off and you can be vulnerable and you can be open and you can say, here I am, and people still smile when they see you, their face still lights up. They don't look at you like... Mm-mm-mm. That's powerful. It's powerful. And it begins to produce joy. And so pray prayers of gratitude. Spend time with the people of God. Third, engage the process of grief. Had a woman come up to me after the first service that I was just ugly crying in the back when you said this because I just lost my mom and I realized I I guess it was three months ago, something that said, I've not cried over any. I've not given myself a chance to process the grief. And listen, here's the problem when you don't process your grief. When you, we all, none of us want to feel sad. I get that. We don't want to feel pain. But here's the thing. Your, your, your negative emotions are all held together with your positive emotions. They're all in the same part of your brain. And so if you try to numb one, you end up numbing the others. You can't turn off grief without turning off joy, without turning off happiness. Does that make sense? And, and so for some of you, listen, um, if you feel melancholy or depressed, if your joy tank is running low, just stop and be honest about the fact that maybe, maybe you have not truly grieved your losses. And so you need to stop and you need to think about it. Maybe it's been a hard year for you. I talked to a woman last week who showed up for the very first time ever in a church service, and I said, why are you here? What, how did you get the courage to come? It's so courageous for you to come by yourself. Never been in church. And she just started crying. I said, it's been a really hard year. Maybe it's been a very hard year for some of you. You need to take time just to, to, to stop and write down, what have I lost this year? And then you need to take your loss to God and to others. And why take it to others? Because, again, the church is the body of Christ. There's a saying in hospice that grief needs a witness. Grief needs a witness. You need someone to witness your grief Someone to hold your grief with you. Someone to show you empathy and understanding and and compassion. As counterintuitive as that seems, this is what some of you need. It is to walk the path of grief with Jesus and others, which leads you into unconditional joy. And so pray a prayer of gratitude. Spend time with the people of God. Engage in the process of grief. And then finally, remember that God uses even your pain for your good. We think that pain is the enemy of happiness, that suffering is the enemy of happiness. And that is because for many of us, we just have a really poor theology of suffering. I don't have time to build that theology of suffering out for you. If you want, come and talk with me. We'll open up the scriptures together. I'll be happy to show it with you or show it to you. But we are just not very good at suffering. We just don't understand its redemptive effect in our lives. Um, Paul Brand, who is an, an orthopedic surgeon, spent the first part of his medical career in India And then the last part of his career in the United States, and here's what he says. You can see it on the screen. In the United States, I encountered a society that seeks to avoid pain at all costs. Patients lived at a greater comfort level than any I'd previously treated, but they seemed far less equipped to handle suffering and far more, therefore, traumatized by it. You probably already know this. But comfort and ease are the exception to the rule in this life. I'm sorry to break that to you if you don't already know that. Um, Jesus said in this life you will have many troubles. And if you, if you don't think this life is going to be hard, you're going to make it a lot harder. 
But if you can instead begin to realize life is hard, if you can expect suffering and not be like always like sitting like bubble wrapped, like in your house, like, oh, I'm just going to try to avoid it. But if you can expect suffering and learn to open yourself up to what God wants to do in the suffering, which is oftentimes strip us of unhealthy attachments that we have that we think we need to bring us joy, but actually robs us of joy and robs us of happiness. If you can begin to see suffering in that way, if you will begin to realize that suffering, though it is not good, According to Romans 8.28, it will be used for your good. If that changes in your perspective, then rather than when suffering hits, it hardening your heart, it will soften your soul, and it will make you more deeper and grateful and empathetic and loving, and it will conform you more into the image of Jesus, who is the happiest and most joy-filled man to ever live. Even whenever life is hard, even when you get bad news, even if the marriage falls apart. Even whenever the prayers don't go answered, you can still have joy even in the midst of your sadness. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, 9, Paul suffered more than any of us will ever suffer. And he says that we are sorrowful. This is a quote. We are sorrowful, but we are always rejoicing. So Paul acknowledges the pain. Don't sweep it under the rug. He acknowledges the sorrow. He acknowledges the grief. But then he says, when we make a choice to trust Jesus, what we can discover in Christ is a joy that even our deepest sorrows cannot drown out. So I hope you hear today, guys, like this is not some happy, clappy, artificial spirituality that we're talking about. It's not just some sort of pep talk. This is about learning how as we celebrate the first coming of Jesus and what he's accomplished for us and we anticipate the second coming of Jesus and how bright our future is. It's learning how to live in the in-between with joy because we know what is ours in Christ. And listen, I know that this is easier for some than others. Uh, You know, you have the Roberts of the world who are seven on the Enneagram, right? Literally considered the joyful person. He was in my office this week, literally singing, I've got joy down in my heart, deep, 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 deep down in my heart. And I'm like, I'm not joining you if that's what you're wanting. That's what you're thinking. I'm going to sing the song with you. And so you have, uh, you have people like him, but then you have others that are a little bit more given to melancholy, a little bit more given to focusing on the negative. Um, you know, for some of you, because of the trauma you've experienced in your life, Joy seems pretty risky to you. I was telling someone, like, I, I think, like, for me, sadness, honestly, can be a defense mechanism. It's like because I've experienced pain, because I've experienced hardship, some because of the sin of others, some because of the sin of myself, what I can do is I can just say, man, I'm going to kind of just live down here when it comes to joy and happiness. Because if I live up here... And then trauma happens, pain happens. If I'm surprised by something dark or hard, then bam, that is a long way to fall. But if I can just like stay right here, then when suffering hits and I don't fall as far. And maybe that's where some of you are right now. You know, because of the pain you've experienced, I mean, joy just seems so risky. And I just want you to know, no matter who you are, what your personality type is, you really can choose joy. You really can live with joy. Paul says in Philippians 4, rejoice always. I'll say it again, rejoice. That is not a suggestion. That is a command. And it would not be commanded if it was not possible. Henry Nouwen says joy doesn't simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep on choosing it every day. Richard Foster says the decision to set the mind on the higher things of life is an act of the will. 
This is why celebration or joy is a discipline. It is not something that falls on our head. It is the result of a consciously chosen way of thinking and living. Here's one more. Rick Howe says, In the Bible, joy is often dressed as a command. The command to rejoice or be glad looks like any other command in the Bible that we're expected to obey. This means that despite being told we have no control over our emotions, the pursuit of joy is actually a moral obligation that should be taken seriously. And so, yeah, we live in a fallen world. Yeah, there's our flesh, there's the devil. Yeah, joy does at times feel like an uphill battle. But because of what Christ has accomplished, because of his first coming and his second coming, you can have the choice today, no matter where you are, to choose joy. To experience in Christ a mega joy that nothing in the world can take from you.